I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, on today's episode, we have an entrepreneur, advisor, and a business value builder, and much, much more. We're going to get into speaking with Damon Pistolka. This is Dave Kittle on The Dave Kittle Show. I'm the owner of Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy in New York City and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. We're currently acquiring practices in the New York and New Jersey area. Damon, what's going on? Well, thanks for having me, Dave. I'm excited to be here today and and talk a little bit about uh, I don't know buying and selling, preparing for sale, all that good stuff. Absolutely. And so you you help. You've been an entrepreneur. You've grown many different businesses. And now recently you've joined forces with Andrew yeah, Cross. Andrew Cross, yeah. And so so you joined forces. You're now on basically the the advisory or consultant side, but together with Andrew Cross, who is historically a, a broker, you guys have joined forces to help mm-hmm. businesses improve their businesses and prepare for sale and then get through the sale process and, and the exit process. So yep. you guys can check their website out is exityourway.com exityourway.us or every other variation they already uh, they have all the domains for exit your way yeah we we have a few of them so yeah that's that's correct i mean we we came into this business in 2015 selling businesses and i came from the investment owned business world where i was growing and selling and buying businesses with investors sometimes holding companies and and sometimes just straight up equity investors and um, we got together and we were selling businesses and I realized pretty early into just selling businesses that it was not doing the owners enough justice because so many times owners get to the end and their businesses aren't ready to sell, aren't worth the value that they need, even though they they uh, are ready to sell. And we just thought it was really relevant for us to be able to add the work ahead of time that gets the businesses to the value that the owners want, desire, or need. And then we sell them because as we're doing that, we can prepare them to sell, make them much more attractive to the next buyer. Sounds great. And without mentioning names, you mentioned the pre-interview that you help and you're currently working with a large occupational therapy practice. So that'll be relevant for a lot of the audience that are physical therapy Mm -hmm. practice owners, PTs, OTs, speech language pathologists, other healthcare business owners and practice owners. Yeah, yeah. This practice has got about 60 employees. And out of that, I think 20 or so are in the PT, OT area. So with uh, we'll use them briefly as like an anonymous little mini case study. So when you first interacted with them, were they at a point where they were just looking to grow via acquisition or were they did they have challenges that you needed to first address and kind of patch some of those holes first before they were going to that next stage? I'll have to working on the holes. Yeah, I mean, you can't do an acquisition really without having a solid base. You can run a company, you can run it out of a checkbook, you can run it on a shoestring, you do it however you want. But if you're going to start doing acquisitions and grow by acquisition, I mean, you have to have a good, strong base because 
if I've got 20 employees and I need to, if I'm going out and buying another company that's got 20 more employees, well, I have to integrate those employees. I have to manage them. I've got to be able to lead them. I've got, you have to have the systems in place to keep my billing on track. That's the main thing, you know, in healthcare, if you don't keep your billing on track, you can run into a hole pretty fast. And those are the kind of things that you have to work on. You have to work on understanding the business you're in really, really well, so that when you bring the other businesses in with it, you can understand those as well. That makes a yeah. lot of sense. What were some of the the common challenges? So you mentioned one. So like if the if there's an issue with billing with accounts receivable, maybe there yeah. you know there's a issue with coding or documentation. Was it just was it a billing problem of getting claims? build out and sent out? Or was it, do you recall, was it following up on claims? What, what were some of the components around that, that maybe other others in the audience could learn from? Well, it's, it's the process itself, right? Do you have a documented process to do the billing? Do you understand what codes that you're going to bill for? Do you understand what information needs to be submitted with your bills to make sure you get paid for those? It's, it's all the way through. And this was very similar across the board for the company was you grow, right? You grow from maybe it's you and I in a room and we're we're treating patients and then you go back and you bill for a while and then maybe next week I have to do it. And pretty soon now we got 25, 30 people or whatever working and we got somebody that's billing. Well, how did I teach that person? I sat down with them and taught them. And, and then if we're going to scale beyond that, how do we really do that? And there's a point we have to step back and you have to say, listen, we have to document what we're doing. And I don't mean big, huge books, but anything. I mean, just get the basics down. If somebody just scribbles on a piece of paper and you can scan it into something so you got electronic, this is how I do it. We got to get those things down. And that's a lot of what we worked on. And and two, secondly, is really sharing the information with the people in the business to understand what success looks like. If I'm a, a therapist and and I'm doing patient work, am I efficient? Am I really getting the amount of patient work done that I should be during a day? Is my paperwork getting done on time? You know, am I personally having billing problems? There's all these kind of things that we have to look at, but it's setting that, that nice base foundation up so that you can add growth with normal organic scaling growth or growth by acquisition by buying another company. Makes a lot of sense. Other than those, maybe the rest of the main job functions, were they also not documented they didn't have formal SOPs and things like that? That is correct. That is correct. Not much. Not much. I mean, you, you, the treatment, right? Everybody goes to school for that. They're really good at the treatment. That's down. But when you talk about the business around the treatment, that's where you really have to, and that's where people like myself, you know, I'm not a treatment specialist. I understand the business around what somebody does. And that's why we get the right people in place that, and these are like one-time resources that you bring in and go, okay, we're going to document, we're going to take the time to do this. Then you have that documentation and now you just maintain it. It's not like you have to redo it every time something changes, you're adjusting as you grow. But yeah, you have to have the job description better. Uh, even, and these, these are, we work with CARF certified facilities, so it's not like they're you know, slackers or anything, but even with a car certification, that doesn't mean that I've documented all my processes like I need to, or the key processes like I need to, or that they cover the processes that we really need to document. So that's part of it. And then it is getting people the information to understand that they're doing, doing well or not in an area. Got it. What type of timeline in case there's a practice owner that's maybe, you know, pre that stage where they don't have everything documented, what type of timeline yeah. did that take? You know, like, 
three weeks, three months? Like how laborious or, or how involved was that process for that size of a practice? By the time we're done, it'll be six months. And then, you know, then in this case, it's going to be hopefully combining some other practices or whatever the, the growth path is. There's going to be some organic growth. There's going to be other things that are going to happen. But yeah, it really is about, and it can take you a year. It just depends. Do you have, do you have A, the time or resources to put towards it or the, you know, the, the money to spend on it? Cause it's going to cost, you know, to have somebody come in, you're going to have to pay somebody to do the documentation or however you set it up. So yeah. And with your with your team's clients that you guys are working with, is it typically you take them through like the first stage of like understanding the whole practice or the whole business and making sure like if there's any challenges or patches, you fill those, you you resolve them. Maybe is that always a first stage for all of your clients or maybe some have that dialed in and you're starting with other clients, maybe where it's to prepare them for sale. If we're just talking about the, the sellers mm-hmm. now that are looking to exit, does every client that you ever work with, do they always have some some areas that were overlooked that you always need to focus on or some where they are, worked with other business coaches or consultants and they're reaching out to you guys just for the early preparation and speaking with you saying like, hey, we are ready. We'll review your whole process, but our real goal in the next one to three years or two to three years is is to exit. Yeah, it, we we work with businesses that are across the spectrum of of how prepared and the size and all that. So we have some clients we've been helping for nearly five years because they're in a growth mode. They really want to grow. They want to get big. And we've got others that come to us that are pretty near ready to sell. And we can work with them just a little bit and then get them on the market and get them sold. It just depends upon where they're at in that in that process and how much time they've really spent at it. So internally with uh, with Andrew, do you guys kind of classify them as like almost like two different clients? One is got a lot of challenges that they need your external expertise and help with to improve that first before anything else. Mm-hmm. And then you have maybe another, you know, a second type of client, ideal second type of client who is really looking to either just grow by acquisition or they're looking to get out completely. Like are those are those classified as different types of clients, like you said, they're on the different areas of the spectrum. How do you kind of know if if they're the right type of client for you guys to work with? Well, the right kind of client that we like to work with is somebody that still has some gas in the tank and wants to wants to really create the business that's going to give them the the legacy and the return they want. I mean, at the end, honestly, our we'll check a lot of different boxes depending upon where someone's at in the in the process ready to sell or not and some of those we have to fix but ultimately our clients go through a sale process and it's just how many of the boxes have we gotten checked before we got there but all of our clients really have to have the 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 energy left to do what they need to get their business ready to sell there's other people that will just list a business we don't do that so that's that's really our biggest differentiator, because if somebody says, hey, I just want to sell my business, I don't want to do anything. I just want to see what I get for it. We would talk to them and we would see where they're at in the spectrum, because if they're close to ready to sell, I mean, we we can oftentimes do what we need to do at that point. But if they're back at the beginning stages, it's it's better off for us not to. Well, we won't engage with them because in the sale of the business, we're leveraging. We don't get paid until we sell them. Right. And we make 75% of our money off the sale of the businesses in our company. So 
we don't take on clients that we don't think we can sell. We just don't. So we really have to think that we're going to be able to sell it or it's not worth it for us. We're not a listing broker dealer that's just going to have a hundred listings. It's not what we do. So. Got it. And just to fill in that. So 75% of the income for exit your way is on the exit on the, yeah. on the, you know, fees or commissions or however that's from the sale. Yeah. From the sale. And then the other 25% is either just traditional consulting or advisory for those other clients yeah. that are looking to just, you're helping them with their improvements or optimization mm-hmm. and, or I'm assuming then the going out for acquisitions like that occupational yeah. therapy group. Buying other companies, if they want to grow by acquisition, we can help them do that. And that's, that's traditional consulting kind of thing. Yeah. Got it. So what are some other things that private practice owners could work on or do to increase their practice value and or prepare for their business sale? Like, do they need to ask themselves some questions first? Do they need to oh, yeah. interview several different brokers or advisors? Like what would, yeah. what would be like an initial starting point? Well, first thing is, is do I really love what I'm doing? Because if they're sitting there, they're beat down because they're worn out because they're just just working themselves to death. That's the first problem they got to take care of. Because you're, if you're that person, is the next person going to want to step into that situation? Probably not. And if you're that person and you're trying to, and you're that way because you're doing all these different hats, like I, I'm doing my accounting one day and I'm doing my HR the next day and running payroll. And then, and then I'm seeing patients, right? It's just, you don't have enough systems and things behind you. And you're, you're too much a part of the business operating on a day-to-day basis. You got to get out of that first. So ask yourself, how much am I involved in the business? Now you can be, you can be a treatment provider and that's kind of cool. People like to do that. If you, if I'm doing treatment half time and half my time spent leading in the rest of the business. That's cool. If I'm treat, doing patient work three quarters of time, that's cool. But when you're tied to the business with all these other things and it really can't move without you, that's a big problem because you have to look at it from the buyer's perspective. And if a buyer, the easier a buyer can walk in and take over your practice, the better off you're going to be. If you've got somebody else that's working into your role, and that's even better. It's If you can show somebody that's been there for a while and you're three quarters of the way backed out of everything other than leadership kind of stuff, you're setting yourself up for a much easier sale, much easier transaction because that new buyer can then buy that business and they could either expand upon the capacity that you created with that person that's backfilling for you now because they could come in if they were a treatment provider they could come in and take your role and maybe do a little treatment to really go a lot more up like that or there's just a the more you can make yourself not necessary in the business the better off you are that's the first thing number two number two or number one in, in any yeah, particular, these, any particular these, order yeah so the biggest thing is what the heck is your business worth realistically what is it worth because so many times you get to the end and we talk to business owners and they go, my business is only worth that much money. Yep. It's math. The value of a business is math. How much can you pay, still make a living off that business? So if you got somebody out of practice and you're going to sell to another practice owner or you're selling to people, even others in your practice, if they're going to buy you out, right? They have to be able to pay down the debt with the money from the practice. And then 
pay enough to pay themselves or somebody else that's going to come in behind you to take care of it. I mean, that's that's the value of your practice. And if you get to the end and you in my practice is worth a million dollars or five hundred thousand or three million, doesn't really matter the number, but you go, that's not nearly enough for what's next in my life. Because uh, you could be 40, you could be 60, it doesn't really matter. There's what's next in your life. Knowing how much you need at that point and knowing what your practice is worth is critical because you can get all the way down to the to the offer stage on a business, and that's a lot of work to get there, and realize that I have two choices. I either don't leave or I leave and drastically change my lifestyle. And neither one of those is what you want. Hmm. That's why I think, you know, if, if someone's not five years ahead of when they know they're getting out, if they're not at least getting an evaluation and talking to somebody about what would make my business easier to sell, it's those are the kind of things that time gives you options, gives you so many options. And if you wait until the, you know, if I'm really tired and I want to sell this year in 2023, you're hosed right now because you basically get to sell what you got. It'll take you four months to sell it at least, if not six. And okay, so we're in the second month. <laughs> so I'm already at the eight month and there's some holidays in there and and say it's going to, you know, it's it's just time goes so fast. It takes so long to do these things for around a business sale that three to five years ahead, if you know your value and I go, oh man, I'm worth a million dollars, but I really need to be a million and a half to do what I need with my other investments, everything else, whatever I want to do next. It's a heck of a lot easier to make up a hundred, two hundred thousand in cash flow, whatever I need to over a few years and build my business up a bit than it is at the end and not have that. So and I'm gonna just mention I don't get anything out of this, but on your website, exityourway.com, it looks like the audience could schedule a valuation call with you guys, someone, you, your team. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and at least go from there initially. Oh yeah. Yeah. We you know, we can get you kind of rough. Just but talking, just talking, we can get you rough. Because like I said, it's math. Then you look at the finer points of 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 things, as we talked about before we get on. If you're growing a lot, that can add to the value. If you're really set up well and you're basically on the beach doing whatever the heck you want, your business is sitting there chucking out cash and growing and growing. I mean, that's that you get that's kind of the trifecta there. And it's, uh, it's, especially the, the right-hand person that you were mentioning, buyers like us and pretty much every buyer, if there's that right-hand person that's been internally groomed and trained and and has kind of a, yeah. like ascended in the organization and is now the right-hand person of the CEO or whatever major owner, then if they're going to be looking to grow into that role, then buyers like us, we don't have to spend time or effort in replacing you yes. the practice owner or the business owner, if there's already someone internally. So then it becomes a little more valuable and it yes. de-risks the situation a little bit more for us because we know that there's someone that's going to be there at the helm if the practice owner is going to be, or the business owner is going to be leaving in a very short period of time after the close. So. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference because of exactly what you said, your buyer perspective, you're showing the buyer perspective right there. That other person that's in there, even if they're the CEO that you got sitting in there and you're an owner and I'm I'm doing patient treatment and I don't do anything really other than if they ask me a question, I help them and I'm treating patients. That's way more valuable than if you're a leader in that organization, because that CEO goes with the business when it sells. You don't. 
as the owner. You're walking away. And the lower you can make your value to the business as you walk out the door, the lower of your, your effect on the value, the better off you are. Just make awesome. it valuable without you. So is there a maybe a close top three in regards to things that practice owners can do to increase the practice value or in their process of preparing to sell their business? Yeah. Yeah. The third thing is, is know where your industry is at for profitability and things like that. Because if you're running a good tight ship, right, and you're you're got the right people, got the right systems, you should be outperforming the industry averages. That's another huge thing. I mean, because if the industry average, say the industry average is 12 to 15 percent net income and you're at 18 or 20, that's a huge thing. It's a huge thing because you've done something that sets you apart from everyone else. And when you look at buyers, buyers are concerned with profitability, how they're going to pay back and that kind of thing. And then the other thing is probably that's cool. Growth rate is another thing. It's, it's huge. If you're projecting and you're achieving now 30% growth year over year or 50% and you go, man, I got 50% now, but I'm only limited now by the amount of people I can hire. And if I was better at that, I could go 70 or 80 and you can show that and articulate it and actually um, realize some of that. Growth is a huge thing because buyers are always looking at the what if scenario. What if that biggest source of patience went away. What if this happened, the economy, or what if this, you know, so the more you can, growth offsets a lot of that, right? If I'm growing at 25% and I go, what if my patient turned, you know, whatever, or my retention or conversion, whatever you want to talk about with patients went down by 50% and you go, oh, that's all right. Cause we got enough growth. It's going to cover it anyway. You know, those are the kind of things that growth will cover some sins. And then if you can get that, like I said, the profitability, that's, that's probably after the growth, but it's, those things are key. It's, it's, you know, know your value. It's get yourself out of the business as much as you can and get it growing. I think about it now as it's, it's owner involvement and growing and, uh, and knowing your value. I mean, you got to know that it's, that's a given. It's like doing good work, right? You have to know your value because that's going to bite you in the end. What would be some ways for whether it's the occupational therapy owner or the physical therapy practice owner for them to speak with other practice owners maybe who have sold in the past or speak with brokers or advisors for them to understand where they kind of fit in regards to their margins or their scale, you know, yeah. their scale per therapist, whatever metric they might be looking at when comparing nationally versus the other practices across the nation. Like where can they figure out, should they speak to a broker advisor? Should they speak to someone at American APTA, American Physical Therapy Association that has that data what would yeah. be some, some ways that your the, clients have done that? The, what, the APTA, I don't know the acronyms, right? But if they've got it, that's the best place to go, right? Because you're not committing yourself to anything else other than your association. If they got the financial data that can tell you, hey, what's a gross margin in a practice my size? What's the net income typically at the practice of my size? And really what's included in those two? Because, you know, in a practice, it's usually your biggest cost is labor. And so if I... If I'm within reason to where the industry is or beating the industry by a bit, that's where I need to know on that. Some advisors will do it, but if you can get it from your associations, I think that's probably a good place to start. Banks banks would be the other place too, because sellers don't understand. One of the things they can do to see how much their business is worth is go to an SBA lender and say, how much would you loan on a business like mine? 
for somebody that wants to come in and buy it. I love where you're going with this because we use, whether we're using our own equity or if we're looking to use an SBA loan or a commercial loan, whatever, we're going to use the the DSCR, the debt service coverage ratio, and most banks are going to loan. And now that yep. this is getting a little bit into the weeds, but we could, you know, yeah. in another episode, we could kind of break it down. It's very yeah. simple formulas. Basically, uh, most of the banks and SBA uh, 1.5 DSCR or yep. above. So if it's yep. closer to two, I mean, they'll lend on that all day. And so yeah. now the, the practice owners listening don't really care where this money's coming from, but you're saying they could go to a bank almost as if they were going to buy the next practice or how much would you yes. value my practice? Not that they're going to the bank for evaluation, but you're saying, no. did I pick that up correctly? Yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to assess what a bank would loan on their practice. And they could say, listen, I want to, you can go to the bank, you can say, I want to be prepared for buyers. I want to understand this. So I want to see, and SBA lenders want to loan, loan money to buy that business. So let them know that you want to be ready for buyers and because they can help you be a better seller so those buyers can get the deals done. And you can always refer the buyers back to them. Yeah. The bankers need to lend the money out. They they yes. can get bonus based off of lending dollars out, right? The yeah. amount of money that they lend out. So as a practice owner, that's the first time anyone on this show has ever mentioned that. So I love that, which is you can go to... And you just look up wherever state you're or S- you're SBA like, lender. Go to your bank and, and see if and, they're and an they SBA can, lender. They can yeah. speak to an SBA lender across state lines as well, not just your state. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. There's a, you look up a couple of biggest brands in uh, SBA lenders and they're everywhere. Yeah. Awesome. Next thing is kind of similar question in the pre interview. We're talking about how someone in this audience, how practice owners can build a high value sellable business. I, we, I know we covered some things. Is that is that a slight tangent or is that what we just covered? Well, we covered a lot of it. You know, it really is about, as we said, getting yourself out of the business, get it growing. And the more it can grow without you, like I said, the more it can grow without you and the more it can be more profitable than industry, the better off you're going to be. It really is. If you've if you found a niche that's got a lot of growth potential and you're making a few points more than everyone else, it's always a wonderful thing. Or if you're, you've got a better marketing engine or whatever you, you've got going on that really helps you stand out, that's a huge thing. Because if you're an owner and you're sitting there, I can be helping patients or I can be figuring out how to grow faster or have a, a better mousetrap. I mean, that's, that's where your value is going to come back to you. You can hire people to do treatment. For sure. What happens if you had a client maybe over, I don't know, maybe at least a year or two or longer, and they originally came to you and said, you know, okay, so Damon and exit your way, I need you guys to help me improve my practice. And you guys did that. And then they said, all right, I want to exit. I want to sell my practice. And then maybe the next year or two go by and the margins are better. They're drinking margaritas on the beach if that's what they want to do, or they're spending more time with their children or grandchildren if that's what they want to do. They're enjoying their compensation, their owner perks, their dividends, whatever partner draw, owner draw, whatever we're going to call it. They're enjoying all that. What if they say to you now, two or three years into working with you guys, actually, I don't want to sell right now, or I don't need to sell. Yeah. Have you had any clients like that? Like what, what, oh, yeah. what happens? Yeah. What, is they that fall in love with their business. And no, it's not. We, we have in our contracts with that, we have a way they can, they can just, they have to buy their way out a little bit, but it's not full price or anything like that. But yeah, if you love your business, stay in it if you want to, you know, 
It's their choice to sell it or not sell it. We have things, though, I got to tell you, it, it happens to a lot of people. And if we look at the industries who got hit, like in 2008 and nine with real estate, we look at how everybody got hit in COVID. You know, just think if you were sitting there cruising into in 2019 and you could have sold your business in 2019 or you didn't. And you're like, well, I'm going to go on it a few more years. I mean, has it really returned back to normal yet? There's just there's cycles in business. And if the money doesn't really make a difference to you, like a difference, I mean, like not like I'm just going to have it sitting around. It's almost better to with a bird in hand is to take it and take it and get out. Let somebody else worry about the risks. Let somebody else, you know, because you can take that money, you can invest it in the stock market, you can invest it in real estate, you can invest it in all these different things, not in this one business. I can spread the risk across multiple different things. And that's where, yeah, they can stay in the business they want, but a lot of times, and not just from our clients, you know, people get burned doing that. And it takes them sometimes many years to get back to where they were. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Let's go back to, without mentioning their name, the uh, 60 team member yep. occupational yep. therapy group. So yep. if someone, you know, that's, I think that's a pretty sizable organization. So maybe there's some folks that own that type of practice listening. I'm not sure, but definitely on the smaller side. So for, uh, let's say, a, of a practice that has 10 employees to 30 employees, mm-hmm. are you helping these owners uh i'm a, is it in person is it virtually are you interfacing with just the executive team do you help is it like a are you interfacing with other team members as well like the therapy side like the like the front yeah. desk staff or or things like that like how how much like how involved is some of the things that you do for these types of like therapy clients well usually i don't know how many people are are familiar with there, there's a book that came out uh, like early 2000 2005 2006 called traction and it, it laid out the frame, the EOS framework running a business. And when you look at it, we we will have ourselves or people that we have are usually working with those owners as an integrator to help them put the structure and the process in place. And it's a combination of a little bit of work with the team and the team doing doing a lot of the implementation of, of the things they need to do. So our work is typically part time at, at most you know, a day a week kind of thing. And if it needs to be more than that, we have other people that can come in and do that. So as they need to, all the way down to, like you said, training the the front desk staff if they need to. So in some cases, you guys might be interfacing with like the frontline folks, oh, not, yes. just re- not, not just relaying everything from you guys through the owner, the owner relays it to the team no. with staff no, meetings directly, or whatever. It's directly, directly, directly right. helping, directly helping. Yeah, just directly. And I think that's one of the things that really, because of our background and all the people I work with, we've been in hands-on in businesses. It's like, and that really allows us to do that, come in when we need to be sitting, you know, on beside the other person at the desk, doing what we need to do, figuring out the things we need to figure out uh, and helping as we need to. So. Makes a lot of sense. You mentioned earlier that you'll work with owners, you work with clients that still have gas in the tank. So is that like, how do you evaluate that other than just like questionnaires or interviewing them to make sure that they're the right fit on the front end? How do you, you know, some owners will be like, yeah, you know, I I, I need to work on this and that, and that, but then, you know, have you gotten into a formal agreement with them 
and they're not maybe owning up to their end of the bargain in terms of actually co-implementing what you're talking about mm-hmm. or, or kind of co-facilitating the optimization principles or, or, I mean, like whatever areas that you're trying to improve on or, or suggesting like this area, we need standard operating procedures for these tasks, these simple tasks, th- these other things. What happens there or has that happened? If you have a client that oh, yes. is, yeah. is not kind of owning up to their side of things. Yeah, it, it happens. I mean, you can't. So we take a long time, honestly, before we start working with people, because we really have to understand, is it like I said, again, we make most of our money if we're going to sell a business. So for me to be able to say, hey, I can consult with you. To me, that's just like, cool. That keeps the lights on, but it doesn't get me. I mean, the work excites me. Don't get me wrong. I love doing this work. But on the other hand, we make most of our money when we sell. So our work, which we love to do, needs to push towards that sale. And if you're not going to be able to do it, that means we're probably not going to sell it. So we're probably not going to. So it's like, and we walked away and then just said, sorry, but here's what we've done so far. Keep going this way. See you later. And some clients, honestly, and it's been a few years since we've done it though, but some clients wanted to do that. And we knew it from the beginning and we helped them, got them on the way, let them go. And then we come back and kind of open the glove and catch them in the end and get them out. And so it it really, there's a lot of ways it can happen, but yeah, the gas in the tank is a big one. And we spend a lot of time in the beginning and you have to ask questions. You know, you have to ask a lot of questions, understand how much change have you really done in your business over the last couple of years? That's a, that's a big question. Cause if you've done, if it's pretty much been on autopilot and we ask a few other probing questions around it, we can get a pretty good idea. Are you receptive to it? Is it something you've been trying and you just haven't found the right thing? Or have you been coasting and you're hoping for a Hail Mary? Hmm. You know, so you, you really have to understand it because it's it's not easy. It's not nothing. I mean, nothing to make make a, a good chunk of money is easy. It's just you just have to execute the steps. Are most of those steps and most of your consulting side of things, is it mostly just like the tried and true business principles that maybe some of these earlier business owners just haven't implemented? Yep. They, they, you know, it's not their strength. They're as, as attraction or EOS would say, they're a visionary. They, they knew that there was value there. They could start a practice. They could make more money. They could, and do that. And they're doing that. But then when it comes time to really build that business around that and that practice, they just, you know, it's it's as simple as if you know that you need to be reaching out to these these five different people every week to make sure we get the right flow of patients. If you're not doing that, you don't get the right flow, you know, and, and it's just so much of it is consistently executing what you know you need to do. Makes a lot of sense. All right. So we, we covered a bunch in terms of the any next steps with a, a practice owner, business owner reaching out to you guys or another you know advisory group. First of all, I do have to say, I love the branding. Exit your way, speaking right to your ideal client, your customer. So was that Andrew? Was that you? How did you guys come up with that? You know, we came up with together. I can't remember exactly how it came up, but, you know, I thought this business when I was 20 years younger than this, when I was in the first act of the first sale I did, I was able to build and sell a business. And I was like, man, this is cool. And we were sitting, it was like, I don't know, 15 or 16. We were, we were talking about it and we we're like, okay, exit your way. And I, we were, you know, one of our brainstorming sessions and it just came out. 
And then we, of course, you know, like everybody does when you get a business idea, like, is there, are there domains available? You know, because that's the next thing. Do you have domains? And, and, then, and then you guys were able to buy every single one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we then we go out and do that. But it's uh, it does. We did think about it, and we we thought it's as simple as it could be. Mm-hmm. On your website, so on exityourway.com, one section you guys have written. Do you, so Mr. Miss Business Owner, do you know? that only about 25% of businesses for sale oh, actually yeah. get sold. Yeah. And so 75, 80% of businesses on market or listed on anonymously on a broker's website, either publicly or pocket listings from a broker, whatever we're going to call it, don't end up selling. Why do you think that is? They don't, they haven't addressed the buyer's risk well enough, right? Either it's not going to make enough money so the buyer can pay back the debt and and make a living in the business, or they've got one customer. And I mean, these kind of things are not just for a small company. We had a, a $50 million company we were working with a few years ago, and they couldn't sell because the owners were all too involved in the business. So these are universal problems, but the number one reason why businesses don't sell in the in lower middle market is... You can read it in different places and they say it different things, but this is the the bottom line is owners value expectations are not realistic. I just think my business is worth more than it actually is. And I'm not selling it for that much money because I put too much into it for that. And it's, and they've waited till, till the end too, you know, it's, and honestly the best, and we tell us to, to people all the time, if you've got a business, uh, PT clinic, whatever, and, and you're making a million dollars a year and you've got two, three hundred thousand dollars you're pulling out of it, you're probably gonna get two, three times whatever the right multiple is, but it's not gonna be 10 times your multiple or your profitability. It's gonna be whatever it is. Sometimes if that number just makes you sick, run the business for three, four, five years and shut it down. Don't waste your time selling it. Don't do the hassle. Just run it for a while and shut it down because you're going to save yourself a lot of headache. Mm. So their expectations are, it's a little more emotional instead of them understanding yes. how how physical therapy or occupational therapy, how these therapy practices, these businesses are valued and approaching it through the standard, like we've done it on other episodes, like EBITDA multiple, mm. and we broke it all down several different ways and them not understanding how it's valued. And like I said to you in the pre-interview, we've had some owners say, um, you know, like say no to our our non-binding letter of intent or, or term sheets and basically saying no to offers that we've submitted. And a lot of owners, are, like you said, are maybe overvaluing the value of their practice and then not really having the the math behind it, like how they got to that number. Maybe we could, maybe you could sway us a little bit if if there was some, Math, and then you said, "Well, I have this, you know, email automation, or I have a lot of parking, or accessibility, whatever signage. I mean, there's other factors a little bit that'll sway some things. Past patient list that they market to, they send emails, they send text messages to, whatever, direct access referrals, and online marketing, and all this other stuff. Or they have a, you know, a, a pipeline of doctor physical therapy students, so they have a pipeline of new employees coming yeah. in from local universities, whatever. You know, those are actual, you know, those are valuable." Yeah. But some practice owners are just like, no, like I, you know, it's work. I want a million dollars or I want $2 million. And 
they'll just ask us to send a proof of funds letter with that dollar amount before we even see financials and tax returns. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, but this is just not how the process goes. I can send them information like, hey, this, you know, even episodes, here's other episodes that we've done. And, you know, here I've interviewed these other folks. It's not just me saying this. Value is value. It's not what I want as a seller of the business. It's what the buyers in the market will pay. That's what it is. And if your value is significantly higher than that, stay in your business. It's that simple. Don't waste your time. Don't, you know, and I tell buyers this too. If you walk up to somebody like that and we're, you know, they're at 3 million, you're at, this thing's worth a million and a half. Don't waste your time. Don't either one of you waste your time. Say, thank you very much. You got a great business and move on because you just have to understand when, when you're close enough. And this is the thing, business owners, selling a business is just a constant negotiation just from beginning to end. And just it's so tough for a business owner because usually you're the one making the decisions and now you're having to negotiate all the way through. It's a, it's a lot different thing. But if you're too far off, it's not going to change. It's not going to change. Unless somebody goes home and sleeps on it and says, you know, and that's, I'm talking about the business seller, unless you're going to go home and sleep on it and go, okay, I guess it really is. I'm, I'm good with it. And, and or go out and do some more research or whatever you got to do. But if it's too far off and you're not, you're not, that doesn't happen. It's not worth talking anymore. Makes a lot of sense. So we talked a lot about that first stage, the increasing value stage of business owners or, or therapy mm-hmm. practice owners are working with you guys. For others that are out there watching or listening, for the preparing for sale phase, maybe they've they've done the business optimization or increasing value optimization yep. themselves, their executive team, other coaches, other advisors, whatever. If they come to you and they say, Damon, Andrew, what's the timeline of preparing for sale? Now, I know it's going to vary because some yeah. are doing you know 500 grand in revenue and some are doing multiple millions in revenue. And some have done a lot of things maybe like behind the scenes to kind of mm-hmm. take them out of like the operation of the business. Maybe others have listened to your show and my show and other things like that. So they're maybe on first base already or second base. What do you tell them if they ask you up front? Like, what's the timeline for preparing for sale? Because the broker or whoever's going to sell your business, if, if, if you're doing it, they're doing it. You probably got 12 weeks, three months if you're all ready to go. And that's just because you have to get all your information together. You have to be ready to market the business and doing those kind of things. And I say, that's, that's a, that's a timeline. You're going to find somebody that might be able to get it done a little faster than that, but there's all these little things you're going to find. You're going to find, Oh yeah. But you know, we had some HR issue that we still have hanging with some authority. Maybe there's a little bit of tax thing we got to take care of. Maybe there's something something here. I don't have, I can't find my incorporation documents. You know, that was so many years ago. And you got to find those and you got to order them from, you know, someplace and it's going to take you a month to get them or whatever the heck it is. All that kind of stuff adds up. And I think you should plan for at least a, a couple, three months to get that done alongside of they're going to be preparing the materials to market the business for sale. You can do them in conjunction. We do that all the time. It's, it's just a matter of it getting all the information together because what's going to happen is you're going to go to market and then someone's going to sign an NDA. They're going to be a good buyer and they're going to look at the materials. And I used to have 
complain about this a, a million times over with Andrew. It's like, hey, let's just let's get out there. No, we got to have the information because if we if we go out and start marketing it, the next thing a buyer is going to want is they're going to want the information. And if you don't have it and they have to wait for it, they're going to get cold feet and walk away. So mm. it's or go find another business, right? Because they're looking to buy a business now. So you really have to know you have to hit the market with everything at once. So if you don't have a lot to do, it's going to take you a couple, three months. But you you can be ready to go and on the market. Awesome. And then so the next step of negotiation. Now, I could hypothetically ask you a, a timeline of negotiation, but, you know, it could be it could be indefinite. Yeah. It could be it could last it, it, the larger the business. You know, in some cases, it could be six to 12 months. Right. So what, mm-hmm. what what's an approximate negotiation timeline? Obviously, there's going to be things that, you know, maybe some skeletons in the closet, some, you know, other businesses, maybe not, but what approximate either timeline or negotiation hurdles, like how do you prepare your clients? Like now you got everything, you got the SIM prepared, you go to market and you could say, Hey, this is going to be X amount of time, approximately here to there. How do you get your clients ready for that next phase? Well, we start in the beginning. We tell you it's going to be a year. It's going to be a year no matter what. I mean, because by the time you look at it, just the getting everything going and getting on the market, and you put a couple of holidays in there because that's a that's a always a factor. You know, it's going to be a year. So once you're on the market, you probably got six months, six or seven months, because it's and maybe even a little longer depending upon you know because you're going to get you you can if your business is really attractive, you're going to take. The best offer, not necessarily the high, the best price, but the best offer, the best, most solid buyer in the beginning. But if you go through that and that buyer gets down the road and something doesn't work out, well, then you're off to the next buyer. I mean, we sell these things literally sometimes two or three times because you get through one buyer and they get to the end and they thought they, you know, the bank was going to finance like they wanted or something came up and they got too, too freaked out about the business, whatever it is. So you're off to the next one. And you do that, you have an exclusivity period that you're working with on the LOI, right? So they say, hey, we need 60 days to do the the initial diligence, 30 days to close or 60 days to close if they got funding or whatever the heck after that. So you're going to burn that first 60 days in that diligence and you get 45 days into it and you realize a deal is not going to be made and we get to walk out. I just wasted 45 days. Now I start over again. I go back again and start looking for more buyers. I mean, it happens. It Almost every time it happens. If you go to the first buyer and you sell it on the first buyer, Hallelujah. So that's why I say it can take it can take a while, depending on how many times you got to do that. So hmm. yeah. what have been what have been some, you know, anonymous anecdotal stories with your clients historically, regardless of industry or niche or business, where they like have you had clients where they sell for a lower dollar offer to a buyer that they happen to like better or thought that their team would oh, yeah. look better or oh yeah. All the time. All the time. So, so, you have to so why? So why for the for the audience? So this why, why so, would you so ever right, do that? So I can come to you today and I can say, listen, I'm going to buy your business today, Dave, and I'm going to pay you five hundred thousand dollars down, and I'm going to pay you a million dollars over the next five years. Seller financing, right? Now, some Jim or Susan, she's going to buy you differently. She's going to say, Dave, I got an SBA loan. I'm going to pay you. million in total, but I'm going to, or 1.3, whatever the number is, I'm giving you 1.2 today. 
when you close the sale of business. Which one are you going to take? You're going to take the one that's got the money. You have no risk. You got a little, yeah, I'm going to make a little bit more, but is it really worth it for that much money? Mm, you really have to look at it. We look at those all day long like that. And uh, a little bit more with seller financing, you still have risk of not getting paid that money. And a bird in hand is is usually the one that wins within reason. Sure, within reason, of course. So with some of your clients, they would typically take a lower dollar amount with maybe 80, 90% of it paid at the close, as mm-hmm. opposed to the the first, that first potential offer where you're saying like two thirds yeah. of it was seller finance, two thirds was deferred, 500 grand down, and then another million over uh, whatever you said, seven or yeah, 10 years yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever the time is, but <laughs> it's three or five or seven. It's, it's, it's a better deal for the seller if they take it with the one that's got uh, more money at the close. Yeah. Even because the total purchase price would be less for that SBA type offer versus yeah. the seller, the seller finance, the total purchase price, of the seller finance deal was a larger purchase price, but it was only yeah. a third down and then two thirds yeah. deferred. Yeah. Because buyers know, right? If I pay you 100% cash, I'm going to get a good discount. And in the in the business business world, I mean, that's 20, sometimes 30%. It's a significant discount. If you're going to let me pay you back over time, well, I can pay you a lot more money. I'm going to pay you interest on that money. I'm going to pay you more in the, in the purchase price of the business because, listen, you're helping me out. I need to do that. That's the way it works. But, you know, as a seller, if you've got the option of taking the money and it's not significantly different, and it's not money you don't need, or, or if it's not a tax thing, sometimes people like to do the seller financing if they... The business is rock solid. They know the people that are doing it. They'll do it that way just because it can sometimes help them tax wise too, you know, because you do have to pay when you get paid the money, you have to pay the taxes. I'm not a tax expert, but you know, it, sometimes it helps to defer that over time. Now, if the seller has a broker or advisor that's going to get a percentage of the total purchase price, if they're only getting a third down, but they still would have to pay you or the advisor or the broker, whatever the percentage is yep, of the total of, of the total purchase price. So then now yep. the cash down that they get is also less. Is, is less and reduced than, you know, it, yeah. it's taxed first and then it's legal fees or whatever accounting fees yeah. plus then your fee. And so that yeah. the money down now becomes even less. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, that's a great point. It does. And that's, and that's definitely a consideration with people, you know, it's, and it's a tough decision, right? It's a tough decision. I mean, do you, you know, if you're sitting there with somebody's going to give you a check for $2 million, do you take it or not? I mean, do I, and it, I honestly, God, I don't care if it's a, a $20 million business or a million dollar business. It seems to me like it's just as hard a decision for that owner. Do I really want to let this go? Do I really want to let this go? It's super hard. It's super hard. And uh, I think even the people that that go, I am ready. I'm so ready. They still say that. So let's say for some of these hypothetical owners, let's say they're ready to go. But if they're offered that first offer of more money as seller finance uh, deferred, maybe that first offer instead of 1.5. So you said 500 grand down, a million deferred. So that's 1.5 million for the offer. Mm-hmm. maybe they say no. And then the buyers come back and they're like, all right, we'll do 2 million, still the 500 grand down. And now you're getting 1.5 deferred. 
And now that the seller still might be wary because they'd rather, like you said, they'd rather have the bird in the hand of like X amount of cash down at the close. It's going to be less than that now, 2 million. Yeah. If it's that second offer, but there's, there's a lot of practice owners that I've heard or come across where they, they still want that dollar amount, the more dollar amount at the close, even though they're going to be taxed on it more. Yeah. And yeah. it's sometimes, I don't know with, cause I'm on the buyer side. So I'm just, you, you can put your buyer shoes on for a second. Like sometimes it's like, well, does that mean I get that you want the money guaranteed like the 80 or 90 or hundred percent of it paid at close. But then if you're saying no to this, maybe it's an over generate, like an over mm-hmm. the top deferred amount, then could the buyers look at that and say, well, do they not really trust the strength of the business? Do they not trust? They not believe in the strength? Do they think we're going to come in and mess it up? Like there's so many considerations, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are. There are. And it is one of those things that if you go in there and it's, and it's from a buyer's perspective, seller financing is a way to let the seller show that they believe in their business. You want to get paid more money. You can stand along that buyer and say, hey, I've built a good business. It's going to keep running. I'm ready to stand behind it. Because if you're expecting as a seller, if you're expecting to get, oh, if you're going to pay me $2 million with, you said, a quarter, you know, $500,000 and a million and a half over the next whatever years, it's not the same thing if you paid cash on the day of the close. It's not the same deal. And right. man, I, I, it's going to be way less than $2 million. Oh, way less. And you just, just have them go back and have their broker pull comparables and find out transactions that are mostly cash at close and transactions that are seller financing. You'll see the difference. We just looked at one last week or two weeks ago where the difference was it was $3 million if it was if it was funded normally with some seller financing and, and other things. And it was 2 million, I think two or two one if uh, it was nearly all cash at close. And it's, it's a lot. That's why I say this a lot of it's a the price is a lot different depending on how the terms are of the of the purchase. Right. So it just you kind of hinted at it. I think seller finance is probably typically most common or best used when it's like maybe 10, 20, 30 percent of the capital stack, yeah. where I think it's worth 1.5 million. You and your seller think it's worth two million. And then we we use that extra five hundred grand in between and we say, okay, maybe we use three, four, or five hundred grand of that as deferred payment. Now we could start making payment on that like in year one or two, or maybe it starts yeah. later, but and that, that's all yeah. negotiable, but it's really yeah. like seller finance could be the gap that bridges the buyers and the sellers, yeah. their own valuations of what they think the practice is worth. Yeah. And it could be as simple as, listen, you, you as the seller think it's worth 2 million. I'm ready to pay a million and a half today, but let's just say that top line revenues stay reasonable for the next three years and you get your 2 million or there's something simple like that because you as the buyer, you're concerned about my sales are going away. That's your biggest concern. I mean, if you can't generate profitability from those sales, that's kind of your deal as the new buyer, right? But if those top line revenues stay the same, that's a great way to use seller financing to do that by a simple measure by saying, hey, as long as the sales you know, whatever we can, some people call them earnouts, which I think earnouts are more technical than that. But yeah, you can use that seller financing with a few 
caveats on it that can help do that. And we've actually, a, a couple of deals ago, we had somebody do that. That was really pretty, pretty good because it was talking about the sales and it, and it did, they use it to bridge it. And it said, well, you're telling us it's going to grow like this. And we believe that. And if it does, you get paid this, but if it doesn't, you get paid less. So incrementally less is the sales. If it missed the mark, you paid less. And everybody was cool with that. So, and, so the, and the the sellers have to kind of have enough rapport and relationship and trust with the buyers. But at the end of the day, the the buyers want to we want to grow. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. legal. We want to grow the revenue and profits legally and compliantly. Yeah. So if we hit those milestones, those benchmarks, then the seller could get paid more. But yeah. if we don't hit them, we're not going to miss them on purpose. Like we're trying to grow the the practice. We're trying to grow the business. Yeah. Your value is way more if you hit them than if you don't, right? It's right. the little bit of money that you don't spend to get it is, yes, it's, it's a bit of money, but it's not in the long run for you as the buyer that's going to have the business for a while. Awesome. Perfect place to pause. Damien Pistolka, ExitYourWay.com. Damien, what is, what's the the podcast or the show that you also got? You oh, got? Faces of, I, I do the Faces of Business. I do it on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Talking to entrepreneurs, business advisors, people sharing interesting things that professionals hopefully want to hear about. So excellent. Yeah. Connect with Damon on LinkedIn. Damon Pistolka, you'll see his name in the show notes. We'll link out to the to the show, the website. Damon, truly appreciate your time. This was awesome. We could just sit back and, and chat about deals and, and valuation and MA uh, all night long. So I appreciate your time. This was awesome. Thanks for having me, David. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.